Episode 72. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. 72. You made it back. Where you been? Out and about? The best of times, the worst of times. <laughs> I had a nice weekend, Pemmy, Pemmy Loop, and then I had to go down to North Carolina and drop my middle daughter off for college. So Yeah, that's exciting, though. Yeah, it was exciting. It's bittersweet. It's sad. Yeah, where's she going? Uh, Elon University in North Carolina. It's okay. a really picturesque country club type of place the kids got the best life ever yeah well that's cool well, that's really exciting so she's heading way out way out of state yeah yeah, yeah. we'll that's see cool. she uh, you know these, these kids get this idea in their head that they want to go far away from college but you know they something goes wrong and we're not an hour drive away like my other ones that's true tech and that's pretty yeah. close by so but yeah, well, you've missed a lot of fun up here, so uh, let's get right into it. What do you say? Yeah, yeah, I say, well, I, and I actually, I put this at the top of the show just because I feel like, even though it would go on, normally go under search and rescue news, like, we have a naked hiker situation that apparently was on some sort of an acid trip on, on the uh, the Zealand hut, so I was that? We, we would talk about that, right? Yeah, right. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, because I, I heard rumors about that from various people, but uh, let's let's check so, it out. Yeah, exactly. So we'll go with the story first. So um, basically, the the story. I guess this one comes from. I think this is just a rehash of the of the fishing game report that was on Facebook. There may be a more detailed yeah. one on their newsroom, but on Saturday, August twentieth, at approximately. 6 p.m., New Hampshire Fishing Game was notified of a hiker threatening people at the Zealand Hut in Bethlehem. Um, mm-hmm. Fishing Game Shame. conservation officers and an Shame. officer from the U.S. Forest Shame. Service responded and hiked in the 2.7 miles to Zealand Hut. When the officers arrived, they located a highly agitated naked <laughs> male on the roof of the AMC Zealand Hut. The officers, the officers spent an hour de-escalating the situation and attempting to get the male off the roof. They were eventually able to walk the man off the roof and escort him back to Zealand Trailhead around 10 p.m. Um, the hiker was identified as Brian Shaveria of Boylston, Massachusetts. So Shaveria was arrested and charges are pending. No hikers at the hut were injured, and AMC operations are continuing. Fishing game was assisted by the Carroll Police Department and AM, AMC hut staff. I mean, those the, the crew just don't like they just don't get paid enough to deal with that nonsense. I know that's that's a maybe not a first, but first time I've heard of it. And uh, yeah. this is probably the earliest the shame drop has dropped into the episode, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, and I think there was so the rumor mill started swirling. I mean. Stop. Me and you were, 
I think pretty well connected. Like I am constantly like I, I get a ton of direct messages. We get sure. a ton of stuff over Instagram. You know, we have our friends and like the word got out pretty quickly that like this was some sort of a a drug related thing. We don't know. We're speculating, but I will say that like there was an account on Reddit that came up um, okay. a few days afterwards and I'll I'll just read this. Uh, the title is, I encountered the naked guy on the roof of Zeeland Hut on Saturday evening. <laughs> Ask me anything. <laughs> so he, this, this person wrote, uh, on Saturday, August 20th, I did a partial Z-Bonds traverse as an out and back from Zeeland. Uh, on the return trip just below Z-Cliff, I began to hear shouting coming from the area of the hut. Hmm. There was a long-haired hiker waiting for me just above the hut who alerted us. Quote, so our friend took nine hits of acid and is having a bad trip. He's sitting on the roof of the hut naked and screaming at anyone that walks by. So when you pass by the hut, try to walk by as quickly as possible. Um, and the guy who told us this also said that he had done acid the day before on Mount Washington and the naked man was fine then. So um, wow. the, the poster goes on to say, I did need to refill my water bottle. So I ended up staying there for a few minutes where there was indeed a naked man sitting with his legs above the flagpole. I made eye contact with him. I did not see his junk, but he was definitely naked. He was screaming gibberish and not making any sense. He did threaten to kill me, but it was in a way that I did not feel threatened. So he nicely threatened to kill this person. In fact, I thought it was hilarious, and I really wanted to shoot some video, but the hut staff talked me out of it. So... The shame on AMC. You got it. If that ever happens to anybody listening, you need to get that on video. Understand? <laughs> Don't listen to the crew. Um, so they informed me that the guy had already been up there for two and a half hours, and this was approximately six forty-five. So the doors of the hut were closed, and it looked like everybody was eating dinner. There was only a handful of us in outside. Um, I heard him threaten to kill other people, but honestly, it was in a way that did not come across as threatening at all. It felt oh, more sure. like a drunk guy at a bar yelling nonsense. He didn't hmm. come across as angry. So um, he was able to hear him all the way down to the junction of the AZ trail, about halfway between the hut and the car. This person encountered um, a cop and two guys from Fish and Game. I yelled, the person said they yelled out to the cop in the fishing game, you're going to be telling this story for years. They all cracked up. They asked if I got anything on video, but I sadly reported I had not. Um, they were, when, when this person spoke to the police, they were unaware that he was naked and on the roof. They just got a report that they needed to come up there. So, And the person said it was a day that I will never forget. So I'll link this in the show notes, but like the comments are great. Like somebody had like this, like someone's like instant classic Northwoods Law episode. Somebody True. else was like, he's, even after this, he's still going to get an AMC membership renewal letter request. <laughs> Uh, probably. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was I don't know. Funny. Poor judgment, though. I mean, yeah. what, what, what is acid? Like a pill form or something like that? I mean, I, I know just anecdotally that shrooms and this and that are very popular again. But what, yeah, what is acid? I feel like you've led a very sheltered life. I was never a drug guy. Um, yeah. know, I smoked a little bit of pot in college, but that was about it. I never liked that sort of dry mouth. But yeah. I was around many drugs in college, and acid is basically like it, it's a... I think it's this liquid that they dip into like this chemical paper that absorbs in the paper. Yeah. And it's typically like this little grid where they'll sell like a tab. And hmm. then you put the tab under your tongue 
for a certain amount of time. Like I finished up college around the tail end of where like the Grateful Dead was still popular. So yep. I had a lot of friends that would follow the Grateful Dead over the summer and college. Oh, sure. It's like, like that. part so, of the culture. Yeah, there was a lot of acid and a lot of mushrooms going around. But my experience with them was that it was never a situation where people got too crazy one way or the other um, with with acid or mushrooms or anything like that. But I think nine nine tabs of acid, if they're strong drugs, I would assume would would be enough to make you go go a little crazy. But again, That's this really is all speculation based on a Reddit account. But it seems to match up with what happened. I mean, this is what a thirty year old. 35 year old guy 35 year old okay let's let's yeah. let's establish the context z hut is very popular with families and kids mm-hmm. like what an ass mm-hmm. like, that's all i gotta say about this guy yeah total yeah, ass about it um and it is interesting like i i mostly hike solo and i don't go to places that are really crowded but i will tell you when i was going down tuckerman's and again i don't judge but like there was a fair amount of lay like, uh, of of people on there doing drugs on the trail, you know, not a big deal, not bothering anybody, but it's, you know, it's like any substance, like you, I'll have a beer on the summit every once in a while, but you just got to be careful when you're out there. You know, you don't want to mess around with substances too much, especially when you're in the wilderness. Oh, absolutely. Wow. That's a crazy story. Yeah. So, and I'm sure the crew has like a great memory from that. I mean, yeah. It must have been a little nerve wracking for them, but at the same time, I wonder too, like, what were the friends doing? You know, the friends, if they were all doing drugs too, they were probably not very helpful. Well, it's sort of interesting for fishing game as well because that's not a typical. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Like, I, I can imagine some of the fishing game CEOs experiencing this type of thing with, say, the ATV culture or something like that. You know, I, that, that's there's just this common idea that it's associated with heavier drinking and partying and stuff like that. But to experience this on the trail is probably a little less common, I would think. I don't know. I'm guessing, but not your typical situation for a fishing game CEO to experience. Yeah, and I'd imagine probably the most unique thing about this is the need to have to control somebody that's a, an arrested offender for that distance. You know, you're walking oh, a walking out. three miles with somebody that could potentially be unpredictable. I'm assuming they found clothes for him at some point. Yeah, so that's the that's the end of the story. They did walk him out back to the trailhead. Yeah, and my it, my understanding from reading the police report is that he was arrested and brought to some some somewhere for processing <laughs> rehab. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, thirty five years old and doing something like that just. I mean, I'm I'm an older guy now, so maybe my perspective is a little bit different. But even thirty five, I was well past my partying days at that point. So. Yeah, well, the mass holes have been on a, a run lately. Did you hear about the mall story? Yeah, yeah I sent that to you. So this has nothing to do with hiking, but there was a uh, an episode at the, and I think that this mall, in my opinion, like of all the malls that are in Massachusetts, like the South Shore Mall in Braintree is the one that has the most nonsense going on consistently. Like there's gun right. battles that go off there, carjackings, all kinds of crazy stuff. So yep. this one, there was a video that I'll include in the show notes. A lady drove her car into the mall and not just like through the, the original like entry entryway door, but she made it all the way down into, like she took a left-hand turn and then made it all the way down <laughs> into like the main part of the mall and it's on video. So it was pretty funny. And, and it reminded me of like the Blues Brothers scene where, and again, we're, we're aging ourselves here, but that movie, The Blues Brothers was a classic scene where they drove the cars through the mall and smashed the whole mall up. So it was kind of <laughs> right. funny, but 
who knows what that lady oh, was man. on. People are losing it lately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, oh, boy. So a couple of White Mountain updates we have here. Stomp, I see in the... Uh, the notes here, the leaf blower guy, so the guy that was carrying the leaf blower on the AT, he is in the White Mountains now? Yeah, apparently. Yeah, Jessica W. sends us a little message saying that uh, he traveled through. I'm not sure where he is at the moment. Uh, this was a couple of days back, but the leaf blower is on trail, so keep your eyes open. Awesome. And I think that guy, Larry, the, the Larry, the log guy, I think he's local to this area because somebody had said that he had finished the AT, but he was back hiking in the white somewhere. Okay. All right. And Gingerbread Keen sends a note in as well saying that the presidential traverse does not have to include Clay, Franklin, or Jackson. Some include some or all three. It all depends on what you're looking to accomplish. Redlining, gridding, etc. So that's some good information. Yeah, yeah. That's good to know. And I know that there's like a standard route that is used for the FKT that I got to pull up and put in the show notes. But I also yeah. got to hook up with Mike again. Uh, so Gin- Gingerbeard Keen is Mike Keen is a great guy. Um, and his wife hike a lot in the white. So absolutely. Uh, if you're listening, Mike, we got to get together soon. <laughs> Have you seen any good shows lately? I, I know uh, House of Dragons came out. Uh, yeah, I'm actually watching, so I, House of Dragons, I'm watching on TV. I'm also watching Paper Girls. Have you heard of that show? I have not heard of that. It's no. based on a comic book. It's like a um, Stranger Things time traveling theme. Oh, okay. So it's like okay. four girls from 1988 that are paper paper delivery girls in Cleveland. Yeah. And they somehow get mixed up in this time traveling situation. I guess it's based on a comic book. It's really huh. good so far. So I'm like three, four episodes in. So it's on okay. Amazon Prime and I highly recommend it. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, we just finished, um, what's it called? Uh, Hold Your Breath, which is neat. We won't get go deep into it, but uh, this woman crashes on an island and it dies back into her like her whole experience growing up with her parents, but she has to figure out survival tactics to get through this. So it's really neat. Several episodes, so that's worth uh, looking at. But uh, House of Dragons is neat. I can't wait to uh, get your your take on this. I thought it was a little, it was a little Lord of the Ringish to begin with, but then it settled into the the original rhythm of the first series. So it's uh, it's not bad. I think it'll be good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good. I think that they really they sort of laid the table with uh, with with Damon. There's going to be a lot more that goes on around the. I think they talked about the decision between Viserys and Rhaenyra around who was going to become the uh, the ruler of the kingdom, and Viserys won out. But mm-hmm. you know, as we go further into the series, based on the original story, I think that 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 sort of conflict starts to bubble up again. Yeah, uh, and the dragons become more and more primary to the story, and yeah, there's a lot there. And uh, you know, I've it's been a few years since I've reread the original source material that this this show is based on but i think right now they're they're setting the table pretty good mm-hmm. and um you know i definitely like the first episode it, it it gave a good introduction to the main players but there'll be a lot more of the king's council okay will be the, their personalities will come out a lot more yeah it's good it's not bad and the the writer is directly involved with this which is interesting too it's good to see him on there i don't think the original producers are part of this yeah, I think it's a different showrunner, yeah. um, and I think that the main director guy may be the one that 
I think he produced, I forget which episode, I'll, I'll look in the show notes and maybe I'll, I'll look it up and, and include that in the show notes if I can remember, but House of Dragons is definitely a, a good show. It's going to be a little bit more political and a little less sort of battlefield, I think, this this season to start with. Huh. You would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would know. Speaking of politics, I, I feel like I got pushed out of the show here, like Mrs. Stomp has taken over my spot. <laughs> yeah, she was a hit. Well, you got your run, too. You had those two interviews, so. True, true. It was nice. It was nice to, uh, it was funny. We were really inspired to do that. It was, uh, we was just like, now, now's the time to do it. Let's go. Great feedback so Whoa. far. You know what, like, struck me the most is, and I know that Mrs. Stompula, you've mentioned that she's, like, a little bit nervous to come on or whatever. Oh, but yeah. Totally. You must have really loosened her up between, like, the Pemi flow, <laughs> giving her a few drinks. Like, she, there was not a, a whiff of nervousness in that in that episode. She did fantastic. Flawless. And that was one take. Flawless. I really yeah. didn't edit anything. I mean, there was literally no editing. So, yeah, we were on the river just talking about, just reminiscing. And um, I think that just struck the nerve and we just dove in and and snagged it quick. Um, I think people really got to uh, get a good story of our 48 experience. And uh, so thanks for listening and thanks for all the feedback. There there was a a simple correction. I guess the uh, flags on the 48 website is actually dot org and not dot com so yeah i'll add that uh, to the show notes to make sure that we have the correct link yeah as well uh i had a couple of notes just on on feedback from the show mm-hmm. here so i listened to it one time just to put the the show notes together and then me and mrs mike actually listened to it driving home from north carolina she loved it by the way too. <laughs> oh that's great um so uh, my notes here, are like, so Mrs. Stomp was amazing. The the roll the rolling in her grave her grave line that she ma- she came up with was like hilarious <laughs> right. about the story about the funeral fight uh, that killed me. And then I definitely remember the story that you had talked about about the rainstorms coming in because I got nailed with a th- a crazy thunderstorm at the top of the salt slide of Tri-Pyramids. That's what I and thought. That's when I knew, I knew you guys were out there and I remember just being like looking at the, the thunderstorms coming in and there was like a wave of just bright red thunderstorms coming yeah. at me and then there was an even worse um, cluster of clouds coming at where you guys were. It was, was bad. Like, tech stomp. Yeah. No, I but, really, really appreciated that. It, it saved our skin it, and you know, I, what, what I did basically was just speed up the pace you know, try subtly to get to that top of the ski slope because it was the only place I could think of for shelter. So yeah. I really yeah. appreciated that text. Like, wow. That was crazy. Well, I remember when I was at the top of the salt try slide and I met a guy and he was just like, he was like, oh, I'm happy to see you. He was like, I really didn't want to go down this on my own in this condition. So I hiked out with him the whole way. Nice guy. He's a local guy. I was talking to him. So it all turned out well. But I was kind of happy to have somebody, too, because it was just a cre- it was like a perfect day. And then it became like a crazy thunderstorm. I don't think any of that was forecast at all. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we would have gone out had we known. But it was pretty hot. Peak of the summer. Yeah. And the other notes I had here was... Um, the first time I met Mrs. Stomp, she was driving for me and you when we did the Mount Washington Road Race. I don't know when that was, but 2012 or something. Right. And I remember her just utter, just looking at both of us like we were complete lunatics for even the idea of like running up a mountain, being involved in mountains or anything. So, so to see her 
sort of transition into a really capable hiker and and being you know so energized by it is is, is an awesome transition yeah it's really neat everybody's proud of her she did uh she's doing great yeah and then the only other note i had here was if you had asked me like when you guys had done the four thousand footers i would have said you had done some of them like ahead of time but that Mm -hmm. Mrs. Stomp hadn't started until you moved up to New Hampshire. It didn't even click to me that you guys were doing the travel from Massachusetts up here for that long. So you've oh, been yeah. you've been up north for a while now, so right. I w- I had to reset and be like, oh crap, they they did that like driving up north for for all of those hikes every single weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah, we just nailed them as as quickly as we could. We were just addicted. Yeah. Absolutely obsessed. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. So yeah. this is perfect. Um, Mrs. Stomp will be in the regular rotation now. Have you gotten her commitment to, to be on more frequently? <laughs> oh, she's more than willing, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If the need arises, she'll be back. And she'll yeah. be back at uh, the 100,000 celebration yes. at Reckless. So, you know, we'll we'll definitely introduce some family and friends and guests and whatnot. So everybody keep a lookout. And that is coming up. That's September 11th. And uh, it's shaping up to be a really great show. It's, it starts at Reckless. It's at the Pint House. And uh, that will begin at 5 o'clock. That is the Flags on the 48 day. And I'm he- hearing rumblings that the Flags on the 48 um, committee may actually be trying to join us um we'll see about that um but that would be fantastic as well yeah that'd be great so yeah and uh let's see any other news here oh yeah skyline that's tomorrow morning larson and travis are running the skyline loop at waterville uh tomorrow morning at 6 a.m they expect to be at the livermore greeley ponds trail junction by about 9 30 9 50 and then continue on to complete the rest of the loop uh ems has been fantastic waterville's been fantastic um ems did post a brand new um essay article on go east about the skyline loop so we'll send you that link as well for people to read it and check it out so very exciting time yeah oh new news here i'll be uh spinning some tunes for the kilkenny ridge race on september 17th for white mountain endurance so that's gonna be a lot of fun that's that 50 miler right well, it's a. I think that you can do either or. You can do um, just a traverse, or you can do the out and back. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. So I'm, I'll be there after the fact. I guess people camp over and stay, and you know there'll be a big fire pit and this and that. So that should be fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I'll try to make that. I, I was going to be doing the Reach the Beach this year, but I think we're going to bail on it and, and defer to doing another Ragnar race. So I think I may be around that weekend. So I'll keep that in mind. But I'll be. At the start for uh, for Larson and crew mm-hmm. uh, at six a.m. Where where are we meeting? Stop Waterville at the Tecumseh Trail uh, start at the resort, the ski side, not the Tripoli Road side, but at the resort. Got it. Basically from the parking lot, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 Six a.m. Okay. Ooh, I'll be there. <laughs> All right. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I We do have some feedback about the grid. We talked about the grid, and I had mentioned the fact that there was a uh, like an eight grid license plate that I randomly saw one day, and a bunch of people sent texts in. Uh, Jen Adams, Corey Outdoors uh, responded, and then I got another one from this uh, listener named Wanda, and she just mentions that 
uh, quote, just listen to episode 70 where Stomp mentioned the 8 Grids license plate and it was probably a Red Tacoma, which belongs to Ed Hawkins. And apparently he runs the grid finisher list as well as several other lists like the redlining list. Um, he has hiked the grid over eight times and is now in his upper 70s. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I think he goes by Hiker Ed. I've actually seen him... I think I've seen him in Dunkin' Donuts and Lincoln a couple of mornings. So um, I think, yeah, he'll, he'll go there on like a weekend morning sometimes and hang out. And uh, I've, I've seen him. I think he had a different license plate the last time I saw him was a couple of years ago. But yeah. um, I've been running into gritters a lot lately. I ran into two coming down from Jackson. And then I met like this... Um, I called him like a mountain Yoda. I met this guy on Boncliffe that, you know, he was showing me like secret campsites and stuff. And uh, he was telling me he had done the grid like back a long time ago. And, you know, so it's, it's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So thanks for the input, everybody. We appreciate the, uh, the links and information that you send us for sure. All right, Stomp, I see here you put in a note about um, more shenanigans in Yellowstone. So <laughs> I guess there was a foot found in the acidic pools that are in Yellowstone, these hot springs. Right. So um, a human foot was found in a shoe floating in a hot spring in Yellowstone. Interesting, though. Um, it's believed to be linked to a death of a person last month. Yeah. July 31st, somebody uh, apparently fell in. But they do not suspect foul play. So just a little update on that story. I know that there was a brother and sister that were messing around by the hot springs and the brother fell in a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And the sister like couldn't save them. So, yeah, you know, maybe it might have been, been that person, but it looks like it was more recent. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely more recent. There's all kinds of strange stuff. We here a couple other quick stories we'll just touch upon. A couple people got fined for water skiing the Venice canals. Like, are you kidding me? What are people thinking? <laughs> Were they water skiing behind like a um, like a jet ski or something? Must have been. I think it was the uh, the self propelled, if I remember correctly. Oh, got it. But regardless. I mean, that's not the cleanest water. Apparently, you can get really sick by drinking that water. So, I don't know if that's the greatest idea, but uh, man, people pushing the boundaries. Yeah, they sure are. I added a bunch of these crazy things. I don't know if you want to cover them or not, but Water Wars, do you know that Lake Mead and Powell are down to less than a quarter of the water level now? So, it's getting... Now, the government has stepped in. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know much about it. I'm interested. So I've been to I've been to both Lake Mead and Lake Powell. I was in Lake Powell in 2019 mm-hmm. when swimming, and I remember at the time, like you could see that like the the walls of the lake were below what they normally would be, yeah. and we toured the Glen. So the way it's set up is you got Lake Mead with the Hoover Dam, mm-hmm. and then that's in like Nevada, and then downstream at the Arizona Utah border, you've got Lake Powell and Glen Canyon Dam. And we toured Glen Canyon Dam, and they talked about how basically, like, that's the sort of spigot to feed California and into Arizona and Mexico. Um, And that, you know, they talk about how critical it is to have, you know, have this as a a resource for the six or eight states in the the Southwest that that rely on it. Mm -hmm. But, 
you know, it's it's a little bit scary to think that they're in this bad of a drought that it's that the lakes are that low at this point. Like long term, I don't know how that's going to play out, but I do know I saw some flash flooding and some other huge rain in like New Mexico, so maybe that'll help a little bit. Yeah, so all the states are in uh, discussions at this point, and some states own more rights than others, so it's very interesting legally, and uh, we'll see how it works, but. Uh it's ominous. Yeah. And I think the other issue, I read about this a little bit and I was like, well, why don't they just invest heavily in desalinization plants and, you know, rely on desalinization from California to support those re- that region? And apparently like the environmental restrictions in California make these desalinization plants almost impossible to build out. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, like these environmental restrictions could potentially, you know, they, they may not have a choice in the future because I know Israel is a is a, one of the leading places where they have desalinization and they, yeah. they basically supply a ton of water to Jordan and, you know, their, their own country through these desalinization plants. So yeah. it's possible to take the water from the ocean. It's just, you know, there are environmental impacts, but at a certain point, like you can't, you can't just let those lakes dry up without addressing it. Uh, meanwhile, in Colorado, a man kills a giant bear inside his home with a pistol. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine waking up to a 400-pound bear in your house? No. Yeah, we'll give the link, but uh, this man woke up to a giant bear that was in the home. There's there's a picture of the bear, and it's it's pretty much twice the size of one of the conservation officers that they show in the image. And uh, the man used a pistol to uh, repel the bear. It was a forty caliber, uh, but the bear was hit. And it charged them. I mean, it's pretty terrifying. The story's amazing. Um, yeah. I guess it opened the door to the home to get in as well. So it sort of ties into this bears are getting smarter trend that we're starting to see, which is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I guess the funniest part of the story is that the dogs were barking. The husband did not wake up. So there's a bear inside the house. The dogs are barking. <laughs> the husband's dead asleep. And the wife wakes up. And finally... The wife is able to wake the husband up. So this guy doesn't wake up for anything, but he did wake up pretty quickly. He was able to get his gun and he took care of the bear. Yeah. Um, from about, I guess he shot the bear about, from about five feet away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then of course there's this guy that attacked people at a diner with bear spray. So people are going crazy. This is in New Hampshire, I believe, or, or was it Vermont? Lebanon. So this man, 41-year-old from Massachusetts, facing six counts of simple assault and disorderly conduct uh, for spraying restaurant goers at the 110 Grill restaurant. Uh, He took out a can of bear spray, sprayed at a couple of people. Nobody was seriously hurt. But obviously, bear spray is a lot more potent than your basic pepper spray. So, yeah. Yeah. Okey-dokey. People losing their minds. I mean, I remember we had... Remember that we had like... I don't even know if it, I don't know if it was tied to the riots of like, there was a bunch of stuff going on in like Portland and these different like protesters and they were like spraying each other like point blank in the face with bear spray mm-hmm. and, and pepper spray. And it's so jarring to see that. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary. I hope I never have to get hit with, with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You get used to it though, Mike. Let me tell you, you should, no, did yeah. you try it on your Pemi loop? No, no, I did not. It's okay. one thing I didn't experience. So, um, one other news article I have is it was a bear attack in Vermont this week. It just a, happened. It literally yeah, it just be- happened. Just before we came on air. Yeah, breaking news. So this lady was walking her dog 
and um, got attacked by a beer. I think it was bitter in the leg or something. And yeah. she had a Jack Russell Terrier, which is a small dog, but the dog was able to bark and scare the beer away. But right. it's very interesting. I had never really read about a violent attack from a black bear in, in New England in a long time. So, Well, I think it's like the third or fourth in the history of the state. And they suspected it yeah. might be because she walked between the, the mama and the cubs. Yeah. Yeah. But... Yeah, and that's always my fear when I'm hiking like narrow, sort of winding, um, winding trails. Is like I, I don't want to, um, you know, stumble upon a bear by accident like that. So I'm always like clacking my my poles together. I'm trying to make a little bit of noise if I'm going around a narrow corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, and then I think before we get into sponsoring Coffee Talk, I we talked about the Dolomites in Italy, going mm-hmm. back to Italy for a minute. Yeah. Um, we had talked about those in the, a couple of episodes ago, and one of the listeners, Brant, had reached out to us and had given a heads up that him and his wife had gone on a hike. Uh, they did an 80-mile hut-to-hut um, hike in the Dolomites, so he was giving me a little bit of the 411 on the Dolomites in Italy, and uh, mm-hmm. sounds like a cool place, definitely on my list of places to visit. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. There was one story I took out regarding all the rock falls related to the drought out in the um, the European ranges. So Interesting. Yeah. So the drier it gets, the more likely it is to, to create a slide. Yeah. Now we have some sponsors, correct? Yeah. Let's go, uh, Stomp. Apparently we have some visitors to Spinners, which is really cool. So uh, one person wrote us and told us that they visited Spinners following the Mrs. Stomp episode. So that's really nice. nice. So Spinners, again, is, uh, you know, it's it's family operated since 1994. They make, they're pretty much number one in the region in Andover. And they're right off of 93, Dascom Road, down in Mass. So when you're, when you're coming back from your hike, stop by. They make some killer food. Um, and they have stickers, which is very nice. Uh, EMS. EMS has <clears throat> been fantastic lately. Amazing. Uh, it's such a great partnership we have developing here. Uh, they are your Northeast go-to for outdoor gear, guidance, education, and more since 1967. Check them out at EMS.com. And of course, last but not least, at Reckless Brewing, where you'll enjoy the best food, craft beer, and fun just 15 minutes from Franconia Notch, many 4,000 footers, and less than 10 minutes from the Five Corners. And of course, they are hosting our 100K on the 11th, which is super exciting. Can't wait to meet everybody. Uh, Let's see, for donations, we have a couple. We have uh, Eric T. donated five coffees, Bobby OC23 donated five, and uh, he's, he's the fellow that stated that we found our groove, Mike. Congratulations. We are in our groove. <laughs> Dan Morris, 731, uh, hiked Huntington Ravine Trail. I must have put that in the wrong spot. Sorry. And then Shandy donated three. And then finally, Coffee and Vinyl, parentheses, Dan MC donated three and uh, also supporting Spinners. He says that's one of his favorite places. So super cool. Oh, great. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Well, um, welcome to episode 72 of the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast. This week, we are going to discuss a recent backpacking trip around the Pemigewasset Wilderness. This classic hike is known as the Pemi Loop, and we will dive into all of the logistics, challenges, and info you need to plan out a single day, overnight, or multi-night trip on the PEMI. Later on the show, we'll have some updates on search and rescues in and around Franconia and Mount Washington. So I am not Mrs. Stomp. I am Mike. 
And I'm Mr. Stomp. Let's get started. <laughs> Let's get started. So, uh, Stomp, I am, I'm drinking water tonight, so there's no beer talk. I've been, when I got back from driving to North Carolina and moving my daughter into her dorm, I immediately got hit with a stomach virus, so oh, I've been man. sick for like the last three days, just trying to power through work and, and sleeping like 12-hour days, so mm-hmm. I'm just not ready for drinking yet. Yeah, well, I hope you feel better. Thanks for doing this before uh, Friday. And uh, well, I'll take care of it for you. I'm I'm having a classic uh, whiskey sour, my classic EDM go to. So not that I'm mixing or anything right now, but <laughs> I've got you covered. <laughs> He's whiskey sour. You're gonna end up naked on your roof. Yeah. <laughs> Calm down, stop. <laughs> I know fishing game officers coming. They're coming. <laughs> um, all right, so we're doing a whole segment on my most recent hike. So I will. I'm trying to remember if I hiked anywhere else besides. No, I don't think I have. So uh, any recent hikes for you, Stone? Just little stuff. I have actually made it out on a couple rescues. So that I'm chalking that up as a hike. And uh, But nothing dramatic. I mean, my hope before the leaf peeping season is to get out to that uh, Hazleton Brook again to finish that. But um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, we do have a couple notable hikes, just a few. Um, Camellia and Lance did scour. A. Folsom 33 did Mount Carrigane via Desolation and the Carrigane Notch. Uh, Dan Morris submitted um, Huntington's Ravine, and uh, he listened to the Huntington's episode on the way home. So, <laughs> Mike, you're starting to influence people with the Huntington's episodes here. Uh, I had that video on our YouTube uh, page as well, at the lower section. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It's such a great yeah. spot. Uh, one with the speed did, the, did a Prezi Traverse. Congratulations. That's super cool. June Collective 26. Um, suggested that we do a notable bike of the week. And I'm like, neat idea, maybe sometime or another. But uh, again, this is a hiking show for the most part. <laughs> the only time we talk about bikes is when they're flying down the ball face with a, a drone chasing after them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I used to be a... I used to be a, a more of a rider than I am now. I said I got my bike set up and I've got my Wahoo kicker ready to go. And nice. I'll be virtually biking, but not. I don't think I'll be getting out on the road anytime soon. That's awesome. But let's hear about your stories. Slasher's hiking topic of the week. Great. So um, we'll go into the main segment here. So we wanted to do a deep dive on a uh, Pemi loop. I just, I just did a full, uh, basically a three day, two night Pemi loop. So I thought that we could do a full segment on this. We've talked about a Pemi loop previously with, with um, Stomp and Alvaro mm-hmm. and I had joined them for most of that. So we've, we've talked about this in a little bit of detail. I think that particular trip we, we started on Lincoln Woods and went up the Bondcliffe Trail. So we went counterclockwise. The trip that I did is probably what you would call a more traditional Pemi loop, which is clockwise. So you start from Lincoln Woods and then head up Osseo and go in that direction. So there's a number of reasons why I think that's a better way to go mm-hmm. that I'll talk about as we get into this. But yeah. um, I think just to start with, from a logistics perspective, most of the time when people talk about doing a PEMI loop, you can technically start anywhere along the trail, You know, and there's many different points where you can start it. Mm-hmm. But most people choose to start in Lincoln Woods just because that's the closest trailhead to... 
um, to the loop. So right. if you go from like falling waters or you go from flume slide or if you go from green leaf or skookum chuck or whatever, like it just adds extra distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the traditional spot is Lincoln Woods, but you're yeah. saying you could start at, say, skookum chuck and do a loop from there and wrap yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You can go from any anywhere you want, any trail that basically like starting from Lincoln Woods, which is kind of like six o'clock, you could do. Uh, flume slide, you could do falling waters, old bridle, you could do green leaf, skookum chuck, Garfield, um, hmm. Garfield Ridge Trail. I, I forget what that Garfield, whatever is from Route Three, and then just make your way around. And any of those, any of those trails connect to the Pemi Loop. But the point is, is that like Lincoln Woods makes the most sense to do it less distance wise because it's the closest to the main trail. Sure, so. sure. And it is a pretty big lot as well for parking. It is, yeah. And, you know, from a parking perspective, I had, so I went with my friend Jay, who is an inexperienced backpacker. He's done a couple of hikes with me. Um, he does reach the beach. He runs with me on, on the weekend sometimes. So he's a friend from, from my hometown. And then I also was joined by Bo, who is my wife's cousin's husband. I don't know what that makes him to me, but... Um, <laughs> He 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 joined me for the whole the whole trip. So Jay was only going to go for one day. So we decided that we were going to drop a car at Falling Waters, and that he would go for day two. He would go across Franconia Ridge, and then just leave us and go down um, Old, Old Bridal. But the problem we ran into with parking is that we were going to drop his car off and then drive over to Lincoln Woods. We got to Falling Waters and the park. So we got there around. 10 o'clock, 10, 15 on Friday and the parking lot was full. Okay. So Lincoln Woods, we had to, we had to do, yeah, Lincoln Woods was, and at the same time there was a rescue being staged right down about a quarter mile ahead. There was probably about 15 cars. What about the Kangamangas? Couldn't you park on the side? Well, so we, he was going to be leaving, so he wasn't going to do the full loop. So he was going to leave off of Franconia Ridge. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. So what we ended up doing was just going up to Cannon, and I was like, "Look, you can go down, you can still go down Old Bridal, or you can go down Greenleaf, mm-hmm. and then it'll take you right out to the Cannon parking lot. It's the same distance." Yeah. So we we dropped his car off at Cannon, um, and then drove to Lincoln Woods, got in the parking lot at Lincoln Woods, and there was no parking spot, so we had to drive on the road. Luckily, we were able to get like the first spot close to the the bridge. So I just parked there. Bo was literally pulling up as I pulled up, so it worked out perfect. He parked right behind me, mm-hmm. and then we just started our hike on on um, the Lincoln Woods Trail. We didn't even have to go over the parking lot side. We just cut over to the beginning of the trail on the the west side of the pen. Okay, yeah. So it worked out good. So the three of us we um, headed out. You know, our day one plan was basically Lincoln Woods. Up Osseo to the Liberty Springs tent site. So <laughs> this is a tough stretch. You know, I started with, you know, uh, probably about a liter of water is what I figured I'd need. And that, that worked out pretty well. Hmm. Uh, but it's a tough stretch. So the lower portion of Osseo is basically like your last option to grab water. So we had a 1030 start, plenty of time to get to the campground. So how was the weather? Weather was good. It was like cloudy but a high ceiling 
Okay. That's the way I would put it. So cloudy, mostly cloudy, somewhat a little bit of sun yeah. with, a, with a pretty high ceiling. So you know, when you climb the, the first section up Osseo to Flume, it's a steep climb. It's a, it's a, you know, a terrifying 25, steep climb. Jay was not acclimated to like doing that type of a hike with, with the gear that he had on. Like I tried to strip down a little bit of his weight, but he was still carrying pretty heavy pack, probably 30 pounds, I would guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. And Bo, you know, he did fine. You know, they overall, they did fine. We spent a lot of time up on uh, Flume. And then, you know, that like dip into the coal and then the climb back up to Liberty is like an ass kick. It is. If you're not used to it. That's a mile. So, yeah, exactly. So we, when we got up to the Liberty, we spent a lot of time up there as well. There was like a a camp group there and we were like, oh, they're staying at the tent site. So there's going to be like a big camp group there, like 10 kids, which was fine. They had the platforms for them, but... Um, we had some great views, you know, the ceiling was like right a little bit, probably about 2000 feet above us. Mm-hmm. So you had like that kind of a cool view of the, the cloud ceiling sitting up there. And I'll, I posted some pictures on, um, our Instagram of it. So it's pretty, pretty nice view. Uh, but at that point, Jay wasn't feeling great. His leg was hurting. Okay. So we were kind of powwowing together, figuring out like, okay, well, if you're going to go across Franconia Ridge tomorrow, is that going to work? Or do we need to come up with plan B mm-hmm. and he's like I don't think I can go across the ridge I don't want to slow you guys down or whatever so we decided um, he was going to go down Liberty Springs and just hike the the um, the bike path back back to Cannon yeah so that's yeah, what he gotcha. did on day two and that worked out perfect uh, but anyway we ended up getting down to Liberty Springs it's about a quarter mile down the trail so it is a little bit off trail Um and we got set up there. We were able to find an open tent uh, tent platform. Me and Bo both had hammocks. So we set up on either side of the tent platform. And then Jay set up. He had my tent. I have a single, a one-person REI quarter dome tent. Yep. So he set that up. So that's good. I had, yeah, I had my hammock. Bo had his hammock. We put our tarps up. Um, I didn't use an underquilt. I used just a blow-up um pad which worked out okay there were some issues i'll talk about in a minute but overall you know we were set up pretty well refill the water and, uh, at the spring yeah they had they had the spring there have, have you been there before oh it's beautiful i have not stayed there but i've used that, used that spring several times and never filter it it's just beautiful yeah yeah it's it's beautiful it's like a nice little little like tube that comes out of the out of like a, a waterfall that just it was trickling it wasn't very heavy but it was it was it was good enough to fill up and they have like a separate section where they have the spring they have a place where you can clean your pots and pans or mm-hmm. your your cups and then the beer boxes and where you can eat so for day one whenever i do a backpacking trip i always bring like a cold sub so i had like a large chicken parm sub and i had a a turkey sandwich so i think for lunch i had the turkey sandwich, and then for dinner, I had the cold chicken parm sub, so I don't cook anything <laughs> on day one, and I feel you know pretty filled up, and I drop a lot of weight that way because you know those the subs are pretty heavy. Sure. Um, so I took care of that. I ate up at Liberty on the way down, and then you know we got our camp all ready to go, and we were settled in by 
six thirty, seven o'clock, we got a chance to talk to some of the other hikers. There was a group of Boy Scouts there. One of the kid, one of the Boy Scouts was looking at my Eddie Bauer grid fleece, and he kept saying like he really liked that jacket. And I was like, "Are you going to steal my coat, man? What do you keep on talking about my jacket for?" <laughs> so we were kind of joking around. And he, the next morning, he saw me and he's like, "I really like that jacket." And, and, and oh, I was like, "I'm not taking it off now. Leave me alone." <laughs> so, but they were they were a good group of kids, and they were funny. That's a great adventure for kids. Yeah, oh yeah, it was great. There was a lot of kids there. There was a camp there. There was one guy that had like an unbelievable like a mountaineering tent set up on one of the platforms, like a yeah. Hildeberg or something. Oh, sure. Like it was like really like going on an REI like camping show or something. I was looking at all the tents and I was like, oh, I want to. Was it a single person? No, it was like a like a three person tent. Okay, like full heights, like six seven. Yeah, feet yeah. Tall. It was like a, a real mountaineering tent he had on there. It was like it must yeah. have weighed a lot, but yeah, I bet. But it was cool. So we we were all set up. The, the caretaker came by, took our money, um, just was kind of giving us the rundown of what to do and what not to do around like beer safety and food and all that stuff, which was cool. She was nice. How's your buddy Jay doing now? What what was it? He just was cramping up and he was like, I, I think he was like, you know, I've, I, I hit my limit and I don't want to slow you guys down for your second day. So gotcha. um, he was like, I'd rather play it safe. And I didn't want to, I personally didn't feel comfortable bringing him across like the ridge and then sending him down old bridle. If his legs weren't doing good after day one, he would be garbage by day two. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. Yeah. Garfield Ridge, the whole thing. Like, yikes. Yeah. Yeah, so he wasn't gonna wasn't gonna do well, um, but we had our plan, and we already I already kind of had that in my mind that like you look you can bail out at Liberty Springs is not a big deal. He's an experienced hiker, so I didn't have any concerns about him going down Liberty Springs and taking the um, the bike path back. Yeah, you know, he, he was he was fine. Okay, um, but no, Liberty Springs was great. the The place was full, so every platform in in um, tent area was full the exception was is that we had only one one person tent set up we had our hammocks we went to bed i got woken up around 10 10 30 and there was a bunch of noise somebody came and set up their tent at like 10 10 30 at night which kind of sucked like it, it kept me up and it like woke everybody up and it was a whole thing turned out they didn't even set up their tent they were just cowboy camping with a dog on a platform um on a platform okay. yeah so they they were they were kind of like we don't want to I think they tried to set their tent up. They couldn't do it in the dark, so they just cowboy camped with the dog. Sure. I guess that's something you have to anticipate at those places, especially the high-volume weekends and things like that. I mean, there's no way. I'll just tell you my own personal view on this. There's no way I would roll into a tent site like that on a weekend um, and try to set up when people are already gone to sleep. I just wouldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm different, but I just think from an etiquette. And people can message and give their opinion well, but what, I would never do that what's AMC's policy I think they'll take anybody anytime to come in okay. I'm assuming the caretaker probably helped them out and said like here's a spot that you guys can use yeah, but yeah. I just personally I would find a stealth spot to stay at the night I wouldn't interrupt people that are sleeping yeah gotcha that's just my opinion maybe I'm wrong I don't know I think but, everybody's different yeah but it seems like they were they were engaged and they wanted to try to keep it quiet and so they just cowboy camped, which perhaps. Yeah, yeah, they didn't do a great racket. job keeping it quiet. I mean, it was like <laughs> blowing up their ear pads and like moving. It was, it was like forty five minutes of like we well, used to shut the f up. <laughs> uh, that's great. So 
Yeah, but it's fine. I mean, it is what it is. It's a lesson learned, and I guess it's to be expected, but right. I will just say that I would never personally do that. If I was going to roll into a, a tent site like that and there was no spots, I would I would find a stealth spot to stay that I wasn't going to disturb anybody, but that's just me. Yeah. Anyway, so that was day one. You know, ultimately, it ended up being about eight and a half miles and probably about a little under 4,000 feet of elevation gain from... Lincoln Woods to the Liberty Springs campground. Mm-hmm. And we were able to enjoy two summits and have a good time. So um, next morning we woke up, broke up camp. We were ready to go by 7.30. So we filled up our um, our water bottles, got our food bags, and said goodbye to Jay. Jay headed down. Mm-hmm. And then me and Bo just broke away and our, our mission basically for the day was to go from Liberty Springs to the Guillaume campground. Right. So we had to start by hitting the Liberty Springs junction up to Little uh, Little Haystack. So that that section there is pretty flat. You know, it's a little bit up and down until you get to the climb to Little Haystack. So we were able to move very quickly there. Um, there was a bunch of campsites along the trail there that were basically broken up by the forest service so they had pulled in like trees and and brush and stuff like that to to um basically shut them down but it looked like there was a number of people that had camped maybe they were like legal i think they were about 200 feet in so there was a few legal sites that i saw people Hmm. were set up in i've been up there in so long i can imagine there's probably a lot more of that now camping up there you know yeah legally It's an, and I think I think the one group I saw was probably legal. It looked like they were two hundred feet in, but it's a conundrum because you got to go. No matter what you do, you got to go down to Liberty Springs to get a water source yeah. if you need water because there's no other options. Right, right. From right. there's no other options once you hit Liberty Springs until you get to really the only option would be Garfield Pond would be your next option. So there's nothing else in between that. Gotcha. It just occurs to me now, why did you guys, did you guys purposely skip the huts in terms of lodging? We didn't want to go that far on day one to get to Greenleaf. Yeah. And then um, Galehead, we looked at the the staying at Galehead and it was like 300 bucks for the night. And we were kind of like, it's a little bit wow, too steep for that's us. That's a lot, yeah. huh? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I mostly, I wanted to do the backpacking stuff anyway. Oh, sure. What was the cost on the tent sites? $15 cash. Oh, yeah. Big, huge difference, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's $15 cash. You pay the caretaker. Steerage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all good. Now, ultimately, I mean, we could have easily found spots like legally or illegally with hammocks and, and done what we want to do, but I wanted to check out the tent sites to talk about it on the show anyway. Oh, yeah, sure. It also occurs to me that they stagger them. So it's Liberty Springs tent site, and then it's a hut. And then it's the Garfield Pond tent site, so it staggers. I mean, it never occurred bit, to a me. A little bit, but Garfield tent site is actually after. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And actually. then Galehead Hut, right. and then it goes to Geo yeah. tent site, so it's oscillating back and forth. I wonder Correct. if that was planned. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's some method to that for sure. And I'll yeah. talk about like the difference between if you were going to do a single day versus a one night versus a two night. Yeah, and how you would you would switch it up a little bit using those tent sites. That's cool. Um, but day two was Liberty Springs to Guillaume. So the way that you sort of break this hike up is you would, the initial approach would be Liberty Springs to Little Haystack. So that's a pretty flat section. Yeah. Then you've got a big climb up a Little Haystack. 
Then you're going just across Franconia Ridge, which I think most of the listeners of the show know the deal when it comes to that. Once you pass Franconia Ridge, our day there, I was kind of disappointed because Bo hadn't hiked the ridge before, and he's not local. He's from Long Island, so there was no views. It was all socked in. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like two feet in front of you, but it was just no views. Yeah. So I was kind of bummed out, and I was like, oh, man, I hope that it doesn't stay like this because we did get views the day before, but they weren't perfect. So I was like, I really want him to experience some awesome views, but I knew Sunday was going to be better, so I was like, he'll get something on the bonds. Oh, sure. Um, but once we cleared like Lafayette, we did see a couple of things. I, I stopped and talked to a, a group that was um, doing some measuring with a wheel, and they were from the World Trails Association, and I guess they're in partnership with some of the local trails organizations, and they were doing some research about distance and, and some conditions of the trails that they were going to be using, I think, for research around the preparation for Franconia Ridge's like million-dollar like update that's being done. Yeah, Interesting. So I was talking to them for a little while, and then I didn't talk to this person, but there was another trail volunteer up there who... Um, was rebuilding some of the cairns. Some of the cairns that were up there were stacked like too high and narrow. Okay. And he was rebuilding them so that they were more compliant with, I guess they're supposed to be more square on top. Sure. And not like skinny, but people just add rocks over the over the time, over time, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it makes sense. They'd be easier to see if they were more cylindrical. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the just leaving from Liberty Springs, leaving, I knew that I was going to be, it was going to be sketchy about water. So I ended up taking, I think, maybe about a liter and a half, maybe two liters of water Mm -hmm. because I was just figured like I'm not going to have a lot of options. And I actually didn't want to take it out of Garfield Pond just because I like colder water. So I was Mm -hmm. like, if I don't need to take it out of Garfield Pond, I won't. So ended up being correct that there wasn't any water sources until Garfield Pond. But basically the, the way this hike is broken down is, again, you got Liberty Springs to Little Haystack. You got Franconia Ridge which is, you know, the up and down um, of the peaks. Mm-hmm. And then from North Lafayette all the way to Garfield Pond is pretty much like minor ups and downs. Two and a half miles. You can really cruise quickly, but it's like it doesn't get a lot of sun. It's super lush, super green. I posted some photos on the 4,000-footer page of like the trail from that section is like, it's like you're traveling through like the Smurfs Village. It's just unbelievable yeah, how neat. like green it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful and difficult, though. Difficult, yeah. I mean, the, a lot of roots and rocks and stuff like that, but there was a lot of trail runners going by us. Like, by that point, we had reached, like, the single-day people, and they were flying. So you can, ma- you can make some quick time on that section. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to Garfield Pond. By that time, Bo was hurting. He was kind of, like, you know, hurting, and I was like, we still got to climb Garfield, and we got to climb uh, Salt Twin to mm-hmm. get to Guillot. So we stopped cooked dinner um oh no we didn't cook dinner i'm sorry it was like noontime by that time so i had i had heated up water and we both had coffee Mm -hmm. and that was um that like gave him a second wind gave me a second wind and then we had a little bit of a lunch as well and then from there we climbed up garfield that's when we got awesome views. Mm-hmm. And that's when like Bo sort of had his second wind. He was like, all right, I got the coffee in me. <laughs> I got the views. And I kind of warned him. I was like, look, this we got the one last section coming up South Twin that's going to be tough. And, you know, we kind of were going, we were doing different paces. Like I was a little bit ahead of him, but I was like, I don't want to go too slow just because when you're doing long distance like that, like you kind of want to hike your own pace. Yeah, right. And 
you know, we were kind of separating a little bit, but it wasn't like too bad. It wasn't significant. So I would go up, I'd wait for him. Then we would take a little bit of a break. Then we'd go, we'd hike together and then we'd separate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, and it was fine. So we made our way through, um, we filled up water at the Garfield tent site, which is right after the peak of Garfield. Mm-hmm. And then we went down that section. Remember me, you and Alvaro went up it. Oh, yeah. It was like climbing a waterfall. Sure. Yeah, that section there was not, there wasn't that much water at all, which was like totally different than when we went there. Gotcha. And the spring was active? Yeah, spring was active. I filled up there. I got another leader. I knew I was going to Zealand. I didn't need that much. So um, from this point on, I didn't have much, I didn't have more than a liter of water with me the whole time. Yeah, I can tell you what, what you're approaching now is like the mind, the mind blender for me coming to. uh, Gale Head and that whole section is a really tough moment for a lot of people doing the clockwise PEMI. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, um, it's tough and, um, you know, the nice thing was that I think if we had had tents, I would have been much more stressed out about going to Guillaume, but because we had hammocks, I was very confident that we could roll in there at like seven, seven. I didn't want to get there after dark because mm-hmm. I didn't want to set up after dark, but I was very confident. I was like, if we get there at seven and we've got an hour to set up with light, you know, it's not like they're going to turn us away mm-hmm. because we've got hammocks so we can, we can fit anywhere. So I was kind of like not stressing about it. And I told Bo that I was like, look, we've got like, I think we hit Galehead at like four o'clock. And I was like, look, let's spend a half hour here. We'll get refreshed. You know, we'll enjoy it. So we, we got to Galehead. One funny thing that happened is we had two young people that were trail running that passed us near Garfield Pond. <clears throat> and then as we were approaching Galehead, we caught up to them. One of the guys was all locked up. He had had like a, um, a cramp or something. So I was talking to him. I gave him some pistachio nuts. I was like, here's a Snickers. I was like, when you get to the hut, just grab me. I'll, I'll get you some lemonade and whatever else they have there for food and you can rest up. So he came in and I already had like lemonade ready for him. And um, I gave him some more pistachio nuts and M&Ms and stuff because he didn't have any food on them. Yeah. And then we got soup. So um, we ended up getting this potato dill soup, which is basically <laughs> like a bowl of mashed potatoes. That's great though. So it's just what you yeah, need. Yeah, we sat there and... Uh, I was wearing my daughter's Worcester Polytech shirt, and there was like a whole group of WPI alumni that were asking me if I went to WPI, and I was telling them about my daughter, yeah. and then there was another random guy that came up, and he was like, hey, WPI, I went to WPI, so there's a whole group of WPI people there that, um, and I was like, I didn't go to WPI, my daughter goes there, but I'm paying her tuition, so I get to wear the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> so, Yeah. So it was cool, but you're right. I sort of told Bo, I was like, look, this this hike up to um, up to South Twin is going to be a grind. But after that, like, it's a great hike down to Guillaume, so we'll get a nice reward. So, Did your buddy go up to Gilhead? Uh, he didn't. That was the other thing is I was like, look, what do you want to do here? And by the time we got to Garfield Pond, I kind of said to him, I was like, look, I given the timing and everything, I said, I wouldn't recommend do, climbing Gilehead at this point unless you really want to get it for a 4,000 footer. And he was like, no, nah, I'm fine for now. <laughs> He's like, I just want yeah. to get to the, because uh, it would have been the difference between us getting it to Guillaume by like seven versus like 730, 745. Sure. And I just didn't want to deal with like setting up in the dark. Gotcha. Yeah. So um, I think we cleared Gilehead at like five 
And then I was just, you know, we were together at the beginning of the climb. And then I said, look, I'm just going to get up there. Um, even though I had had the soup and everything, I, I just said to him, I was probably going to cook dinner. So got up to, um, got up to the top of South Twin, probably had about 15 minutes before Bo got up there. So I cooked, I had, uh, I like, I like bringing these, they're a little heavy, but I bring the Chef Boyardee's meatballs and spaghetti. Mm-hmm. So I heated those up on the summit of South Twin and just ate those for my dinner. So I was ready to go. I didn't have to do dinner when I got to the campsite and, you know, finished off my water there. And then when Bo came up, uh, I can't remember if he ate or not. I can't remember what he did. But um, anyway, we hung out on Salt Twin for a little while. There was a couple of other people on there. Sun was starting to kind of set. So as we, when you get up to Salt Twin, the character of the the mountains changes like significantly it becomes like scottish highlands mm-hmm. from salt twin sure. over once you clear the the salt twin and you get into the open area towards Guyot, it becomes like the kind of like that section of the mahoosics where you're you're above tree line i call it scottish highlands i don't know twinway is such a, a welcome breath of fresh air it's like nice and gradual oh yeah yeah it's a nice flat section there so um we got you know, we, we enjoyed that section. We took some video on the, it's not Guillaume, it's like the sub-peak below Guillaume that um, we just took some videos of the sun, sun setting mm-hmm. there. You know, it was still, still had an hour or so of time, but we ended up rolling into the campsite, uh, our tent site by like seven, and it was, it was packed. There was a ton of people. There was like, we walked in and there was somebody playing like music on like a, like a, a speaker. Mm-hmm. It was like some crappy banjo music. I don't know. Sorry if you like bluegrass. Don't come at me, but I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and then we we were looking for the the caretaker, and every spot was taken up. And they have this like awesome. They have a shelter built. It's like a brand new um, sleeping platform, mm-hmm. and it's up high, and it like sh- looks out into. I don't know what that is. It's like it probably looks out into like the the sugar loaves or like middle and north shore i don't know what those mountains are that face guillot like that but it's it's like awesome views well zealand yeah maybe yeah it's it's that whole area yeah uh but i we talked to the the caretaker and he was he was a total um he was like oh dudes what's going on man you know he's like one of those guys super nice and i was like how do you like being the and he's like this is the best campsite and i got the best job and i'm so happy but he was like super nervous because he's like oh man like you guys are staying here for the night and and i was like um i was like well good news is we have hammocks and then his face just completely changed and he's like oh my god i got the best spot for you guys so he like pointed us right to um this spot like right near the bear boxes and stuff so we were able to set up Hmm. no problem we didn't even put tarps up we were like there's no rain in the forecast like we just didn't feel like putting tarps up so we just set up our hammocks first night on my hammock i had an issue where i used my blow up um my blow up sleeping pad it makes the hammock a little tippier like i think an underquilt is better Mm -hmm. but the big problem with a pad if you're sleeping is i had a 40 degree quilt it was about 45 degrees out at night and I had the pad. So when I would sleep on my side, it exposed my side mm-hmm. and I was like, it's kind of cold. So luckily I had given Jay my, like my closed cell, my solid pad. And when he was leaving, I was like, Jay, let me have this, the, um, the second pad. So I was able to double up my pad 
And I was able to like make it sort of like in a V so that when I, either side that I slept on, I was covered and I was warm as could be. So it was no issue from there. So on the tent sites, the platforms, do they have posts for the hammocks? So the in Liberty Springs, we were able to set up like we, there was just trees around the, the platforms that we were able to set up. They were like a perfect distance. Okay. And then um, at Guillaume, they ha- they didn't send us to a platform site. I think what they sent us to was like an overflow site mm-hmm. that you could technically set a tent up for, but it wasn't it wasn't set up that well. It was like kind of rocky and not a great spot. Hmm. So I think it's like in a pinch they could put a tent in there. Right. But I think for the most part they used it for hammockers because there was a bunch of trees there that you could set up on. And like me and Bo had to share a tree, and then he was on one section and I was on another. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah, but it was beautiful there. Like the new shelter is unbelievable. The tent platforms are up high so that you have a view looking out in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And like I woke up at four in the morning and the sunrise was like bright purple and it was just like unbelievable. You know, I went back to bed afterwards, but I just woke up for like five minutes and just saw the sun rising at like four in the morning and it was just the color was amazing. Mm-hmm. And the sunset too was like this bright orange sunset, just like on top of this mountain that you could look out to. I don't know what the mountain was. I had to look in Gaia to figure it out directionally, but it was just an awesome sight. Yeah, I think I know what it is. I think it's it, I think you're looking at Zealand, White Wall, Ethan Pond, that whole stretch, Tomfield Willie. Okay. Just by memory, I think that's what you're looking at. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, no, it was great. And uh, But we did great. You know, I was nervous like halfway through. When we got to Garfield Pond, I was a little bit nervous about how Bo was doing. I didn't want to push him too hard. And I was sort of thinking like, you know, we can... Um, we can we can stay at the Garfield tent site like day three would be much more difficult I was kind of like of the mind that like let's push it hard on day two and our day three is going to be a lot easier because we're not going (laughs) to be climbing in much so it worked out perfect yeah so yeah so then what you have West Bond for day three so yeah day three was um, Gio to Lincoln Woods so we we started like West Bond is like literally like right right uh, outside of Gio so we just we hopped up there um, first ones up, you know, we probably got going around seven thirty, so we were the first ones on West Bond. Had awesome views. Mr. Stomp's favorite spot. Like Bo, that was Bo's. Like yeah, it was his holy shit moment. It was like this is an unbelievable view. It's amazing, it really is. You're yeah. right in the middle of everything. Yeah, exactly. And then um, just went up to Bond. That's another easy hike. You know, it was a little bit up, but not much. And then um, over to Bond Cliff, which is a lot longer. From Bond to Bond Cliff is a lot longer than I, I always forget how long that is. Sure. Yeah. And that's it. And it's all downhill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all downhill from there. But there was a good crowd on Bond Cliff. We met, um, we met this lady, Rebecca, um, who was with her sister and her nephew. And she was finishing her 48 on West Bond. So we ended up bypassing them a few times during the day. Like they, we saw them on West Bond, then we saw them on Bond Cliff, and then we saw them again when we were crossing the bridge over the Pemi um, to just sort of exit the wilderness zone. So they were, so if Rebecca, if you're listening, congratulations on finishing your 4,000 footer. Mm, Awesome. Yeah. And then I met an old guy on Bond Cliff. So um, hmm. don't ever don't ever skip talking to the old people when they're out there. If you see somebody that's like seventy five years old and they're on Bond Cliff, they probably have a good story to tell. Uh, yeah, for sure, absolutely. So, uh, so I was talking to them a little bit on the peak, and then 
he he headed off and then me and Bo started heading down and we were in that like little chimney section where you come down from Boncliffe right. and he was like he was ahead of us so he threw his poles down and um you know he's like oh sorry I'm a little bit slower than I used to be blah 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 and I was like no problem whatever and I was like did you did you camp at Gio we were up there and he's like no I actually camp below Boncliffe and I was like, oh, really? And I was like, oh, well, there's, are there any good spots? Because I'm always curious. And, he, and he's like, I got a good spot. And he's, he's, like, uh, he's like, and it's a legal spot, too. So um, Wait a minute. So the north side or the south side of Bond? Bond Cliff. This is, this is below the summit. So, so if where, you're coming from Lincoln Woods. Where he camped. He's, yeah, he camped like up on, on Bond Cliff Trail. Okay. There is a legal camping gotcha, spot gotcha. there. You know, I'm not going to get into the details sure. of it, but basically, like the guy showed me, he's like, um, he's like, yeah, if you just want to follow me. So Bo was like, again, Bo was a little bit slower than me, so I was like, Bo, why don't you just keep hiking down? I'll meet you. And then I went with this guy, and he was showing me like his spot. He's had this spot for like, and this guy's like, he's like, I grit, I'm a gritter, and all this stuff. So he showed me like this awesome spot that you would never know was there. Um, hmm. Right below the summit of Bonk, and it's legal, 200 feet off trail, yep. and uh, he's like, I've been taking care of this thing for like 20 years or whatever, so. Nice. Um, awesome area, so it's so don't sleep on, like, I think if you just look at the spots that are right on trail a lot of the time, there's more to those spots than there. There's plenty of legal camping spots along the way. You don't need to hike, you know, set up on those, those spots right along the trail. Was there any uh, water flowing at that major crossing off of Boncliffe? So I started with a liter of water at Quixote um, from their spring. And then um, the there was no water at the 3,000 foot mark of Black... That's called Black Brook is where you cross. It was dry? I think it was like... That one was dry. Wow. The higher part, part was dry. Okay. And then there was like... This next water crossing was... Um, I think the first water crossing, the second water crossing were dry. The third one was was running as normal. Hmm. And then from there, there was like a couple of different spots where you could get water. Interesting. But that's where I filled back up again. Okay. Interesting. So what the water story basically was liter and a half to start to get up to Liberty Springs. Then, oh no, I think it was a liter to get up to Li- Liberty Springs. Then I took a liter and a half with me to get to... Garfield tent site and then I loaded up with even probably a half a liter at Garfield and then another half a liter at Zealand and then and then from there just a liter from Guillot. So I only had more than one liter at one point of the hike, which was that section from Liberty Springs up to uh, to Garfield Pond. Gotcha. I remember doing my clockwise Pemi and it was 95 degrees that day and I I pull into that brook just below Boncliff and it was running thank God because I was starting to get mild heat exhaustion it was so that was a tough day yeah yeah definitely I think here on my notes I had hardest sections to me were uh, the climb up Osseo sure uh, and I was at my heaviest at that point too mm-hmm. um, the climb up South Twin from Galehead right the final push up up to Garfield, and then the climb up Little Haystack surprisingly was tough too. Mm-hmm. 
So those were the tough ones. And then the sections that I, I thought that you could really fly on was like Lincoln Woods to lower Osseo. So I think about a mile and a half, two miles up Osseo, you can, you can move pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Liberty to the climb up to Little Haystack. That section there is probably about two miles, two and a half miles. You can fly. And then North Lafayette to Garfield Pond, that's probably a four-mile section that you can really fly on. And then obviously like Bond Cliff Trail and down into that last five-mile section of of, um, of Lincoln Woods, mm-hmm. you can fly. Uh, my food strategy, I took with me, like I said, I took the, the, full, the chicken parm sub, the turkey sandwich for day one. I like to go cold meals there and carry them even if they're heavy. Day two, I had um, day two. I had a little bit of chicken parm sub left over, actually, that I had for lunch. Now that I'm remembering this, and then I had the the food at Gilhead hot, and then I had the Chef Boyardee spaghetti and meatballs for dinner, and then um, day three. I can't remember what I ate. I think I just ate like uh, pistachios and, and peanut M&Ms. We got out pretty early, so hmm. I think I was good to go there. And then, um, yeah, that was basically it. I had a pad thai like bag meal that I used that I was going to use that I didn't end up using. So that was the only extra food I had. Gotcha. Um, and then my breakdown, my opinion on this. So if you're going to do a single day, obviously like – the thing you need to pay attention to is your water strategy. I don't think you have the luxury of going down to Liberty Springs for for a single day. That's an extra half a mile you're adding to your hike. So my view is that you would have to, I guess, bring enough water with you to go from Os- the bottom of Osseo all the way to Garfield Pond, which I don't know how many miles that is. It's probably about 12 miles of up and down. If you're going to be on a hot day, you're probably talking like two, three liters of water if you're on a cooler period like this one i would probably go with a liter and a half and and hope for the best and then load up on garfield pond and then from once you get to garfield pond you've got garfield pond garfield tent site um guillot and then you've got the the blackboard but even going to guillot is an extra half a mile adding on to your hike too so you don't want to go there too much but i think for a single day like your water strategy you really got to think through what you what you want to do there gotcha um, a one day overnight, if you're going to do one overnight, I think you would repeat what I did, but the first day would be you'd start early and you would stay at Garfield tent site. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way to do it. Yeah. And then I think if you're going to do a two night, my recommendation would be Liberty Springs tent site, Guillot, and then out mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. You know, and if you wanted to do three nights, you could, you could make it a little bit easier and just do Liberty Springs. Garfield tent site and then Guillot tent site mm-hmm. and then out. So gotcha. So basically, counterclockwise is probably harder in general for a single day, even for two or three days. Yeah, I think it's just like I think finishing with Bond Cliff. Like once you're at, once you clear South Twin, like you're really done with any significant elevation oh, yeah. versus. Um, you know, going counterclockwise, like you still got to deal with going up Lafayette. You've got to deal with the up and down coal between Liberty and Flume. Oh, sure. And then just going down, like going down Osseo is just, a, it's just killing your legs mm-hmm. at, at a point where you've gone a really long distance. Whereas I think clockwise, you ease down Bond Cliff Trail and then it's just a flat finish for five miles. 
<laughs> how did that one treat you? Because that is a tough one too. <laughs> you know, my feet were hurting pretty bad, um, but otherwise I, I was okay. I was powering through. Yeah. I didn't bring poles, so I gave my poles to Jay because he didn't have poles. Oh, so I didn't. Okay, I didn't have my uh, my hiking pole, so that was the one thing that was a little bit. I mean, that might have helped, but sure. also poles sometimes annoy me. So it was good to not have. <laughs> So would you do it again? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. I think it was good. I um, It was good to get some experience with hammock backpacking. I haven't done that before. I slept way better in a hammock, so I think I'm sold on the hammock long term. I think my hammock setup is pretty heavy right now, mm-hmm. so I've got to look at like lightening that up a bit, but I, I liked it. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. That was a good uh, review of the trip. It's such a great yeah. experience. And what do they say? It's the, it's one of the most popular trips in the world or hikes in the I world? I think Franconia Ridge is one of the most popular hikes in the world, but I would think the Pemi Loop, besides maybe the Presidential Traverse, is probably the most popular. Yeah, it's up there for the sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it was a good time, and Bo had a good time, and uh, definitely, like, I think... I was concerned about making sure that both Jay and Bo had a good time. I felt like that pressure to make sure that I showed them that, you know, hiking is really fun and enjoyable. And I think they both came away like really ha- Like Jay said that he was interested in doing another trip, maybe less aggressive. And I think Bo definitely like, you know, he'll be down for another overnight for sure. Mm-hmm. Were there any areas that uh, you didn't have service? Um... Yeah, I don't think we had service at, uh, service was sketchy at Liberty Springs, and then we didn't have any service at Guillaume, and then um, I think we got it on top of like West Bond. I got it on top of most of the mountains, but for the most part, when we were down in the trails, like there wasn't a lot of service. Gotcha. And I wasn't looking that often. I, you know, I would text uh, Mrs. Mike every once in a while, but that was about it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, so that's it. I'll include my um, Strava GPS tracks for anybody that's interested in checking it out. Um, You can see the route that I took, and um, you can get a sense of mileage and elevation as well. Now, for search and rescue, I think we should go local this week because we're getting slammed. Sure. Sure. I've been talking a lot, so you want to do a couple of these? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, for National, there was a uh, really interesting article, which we can give everybody, uh, which takes a deep look into how they logistically took 60 people off the PCT. Uh, It's pretty interesting, actually. And then there was a fall off of Half Dome. A climber fell 80 feet and survived. So that's uh, quite the story. But we start on Mount Musalak, which is over in Benton, and we have a hiker that was assisted off the carriage road. And I think this is the one of two over the last few weeks, but this is August 15th at 2.55. There was a 26-year-old hiker um, from Somerville who was hiking with a companion, they summited the mountain via Gorgebrook Trail, and as she was descending Carriage Road, she suffered a lower leg injury. 
on a portion of trail consisting of smooth and slippery ledge, a common theme over the last few weeks. Uh, They made it a short distance down the trail when they were they encountered an ATV that was provided by New Hampshire Fishing Game. And uh, also, Pemi Search and Rescue assisted in the rescue. And um, they eventually came out at the Breezy Point uh, Road in Warren. Um, so, Carriage Road making a comeback. <laughs> in the Lucky's sur- been quiet lately. Well, yeah. You know what hasn't been quiet, though? Falling Waters. Yes. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment. First, we have a hiker that was rescued on Carter Mariah Trail. So let's see. On Sunday, August 14th, 5.30 p.m., Fishing Game received a notification that there was an injured hiker on the Carter Mariah Trail in Gorham. This is a 37-year-old from Andover, New Hampshire, hiking with a friend. They summited Mariah, and as they were descending, this individual slipped and fell landing on his lower leg and heard an audible snap which to my mind means maybe ligament maybe bone who knows um immediately this person felt pain and uh chose to rest to rest it to see if he was able to hike out after resting they began slowly hiking down the trailhead. However, uh, they were ultimately unable to continue, and that's when the uh, 911 call was placed. Nip continued down trail, but at about 7.20 p.m., the pain was so significant that he advised officials that he would need assistance. So, you know, this is really neat. It's like, ultimately, you want to be able to get yourself off the mountain if you run into trouble, but it's really appreciated when people make the effort to continue on down trail if they're able while rescuers are coming. So it's pretty neat. Ultimately, there was a ATV that was brought up to this person's location, and they were able to drive this individual back to the trailhead by about 8.25 p.m. So for this one, we have, uh, oh, just, uh, yeah, just an ATV. So no teams on this one. So the victim actually posted a follow-up publicly on the 4,000-footer Facebook page basically just breaking down that um, this was his first 4,000 footer hike. He's been a resident of New Hampshire his whole life and, you know, just sort of started thinking about hiking. So he was on top of Mount Moriah and um, you know, on his way down, he broke his ankle like five minutes into the hike back down. So, you, mm-hmm. I mean, you know where Moriah is like, that's a, oh, that's way up there. You're way, way in the, in the thick of things. So yeah. he was able to make his way three and a half miles down, but he got to a certain point where he just couldn't stand anymore. So he was forced to call for help. So he just, um, you know, he just sort of sent out a heartfelt message to say like, you know, some people would probably call it quits after such a horrible first experience, but um, he's only more determined to complete all the peaks. So can't wait to be healed up and back out there. So <laughs> hopefully he gets back at it and, you know, stuff happens out there sometimes. And, you you know, you know he it sounds like he really gutted it out, though. Like three and a half miles on a broken foot is impressive no matter how, no matter where he ended up. Oh, absolutely. No question about it. Uh, do you want me to continue with Falling Waters or... No, I think I can talk again, Stomp. All right, you got it. So listen, I got I to gotta remind listeners that Falling Waters is generally the nightmare trail that we go to for search and rescue and uh, disappeared for quite a while, but it's back with a vengeance. So uh, take it away. This is a really neat story. Yeah, yeah, and I think you already covered the one that I, I was, but when I remember driving by, like, 
and looking at all the cars staged, like if you see if you see cars staged like a quarter mile before the parking lot, then you know that like something's going on. So I texted Stomp and I was like, "There's staging," and I was like, "I don't know if you're there, but like something's going down." So, right. um, but this was on Tuesday, August 16th at approximately 6:20. New Hampshire Fishing Game was notified of a hiker that suffered a lower leg injury when hiking down the Falling Waters Trail in Franconia. A group of eight hikers had successfully hiked most of the popular loop. The group was descending the steep falling water trail when they were overcome by rain. This made the trail slippery and caused one of the hikers to fall and injure her lower leg. The injured hiker was a 20-year-old from Middletown, Delaware, and initially the hiker did not think that she could make it down the trail on her own. Conservation officers and members of the PEMI search and rescue team responded to carry uh, the victim to the Falling Waters trailhead. So, again, the call came in at 6.20. Rescue has reached the victim around 8 p.m. The victim and the rest of the party were given headlamps, and she was able to walk out on her own with assistance. So the entire group reached the rescue command at approximately 9 p.m., uh, fishing game would like to thank the volunteers with the assist with these carryouts. Members of these groups work tirelessly when needed and are always willing to give up what they were doing to help a hiker if needed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And there's always the the question of whether you're best to go up falling waters or down. And I think the general consensus is it's best to go up. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm always I actually I'm guilty of like a lot of times I will tell people like I actually prefer to go up old bridle and down falling waters, but I do think that like I would caveat that to say like you need to be comfortable with the trail and I think if you've done done both sections and you're comfortable going down things then it's a little bit different than somebody that's brand new. Yeah. I just like going that direction because I like to see sort of liberty and flume and like I think that view is a little nicer, but mm-hmm. Anyway, so the next um, the next rescue is um, oh, so wait a minute, maybe this was the one that I had seen staged. Oh, maybe not actually. This I think this is a little bit later. But Friday the eighteenth. Friday the eighteenth. Yeah, I think that might have been. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was the one or not because they were staged pretty early when I got there. But on Friday the eighteenth, approximately two ten p.m., fishing game was notified of a hiker that suffered a possible back injury while hiking down Falling Waters. So that's interesting. Twenty-one-year-old mm-hmm. uh, uh, female from Melbourne, Florida, and her friend had started hiking up Falling Waters at eleven a.m. By one fifteen, they hadn't made the summit of Little Haystack and decided to turn around while coming down the trail near Cloudland Falls. Um, the victim stepped and fell about seven feet onto some hard rock, injuring her lower back and arm like this area. I got to go back up there and see what's going on. That's the spot. We go to that spot so many times. It's out- outrageous. <laughs> They're going to have to reroute that trail somehow. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. I'm not sure if this is part of the maintenance that they're planning, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I wonder if they could they go into the woods and reroute by, by switch back and to the to the uh, the right of the, the falls or not? I don't know. Uh, it's a long story. I mean, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna suck. Like they, they'd it's have to cut down story. a lot of trees and stuff, so it would suck. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, hopefully there'll be more that can be made public in that in the future. So, mm-hmm. um, but the the rescue has reached the victim around three twenty five, and she safely arrived at the awaiting ambulance at five thirty. 
Um, she was transported to Linwood uh, by Linwood Ambulance Services to Littleton Regional Hospital for further evaluation. And then they, the, the fishing game put in um, a, sort of a PSA. Then the last couple of weeks, Cloudland Falls along the Falling Waters Trail has been a challenging section for many hikers. The area is steep and wet. For those reasons, when walking the Franconia Ridge Loop, it is recommended that hikers ascend this trail and descend Old Bridle. It's important to wear proper footwear, such as hiking boots when hiking wet surf. So the fishing game is saying is is saying to go that direction. Then I'll change my <laughs> my recommendation and say just go with it. Yeah, so. yeah. I think that's probably what influences my opinion the most on that. But you know, at, at the same time, I'm the one that goes down Welch instead of going up Welch. So it depends on your skill level and the weather. Uh, getting overcome by a rainstorm is certainly. Uh, an unusual circumstance, you know, which would change things. Yeah. So it all depends. It all depends. So yeah. staying in Franconia Notch, um, but over on Cannon Mountain, this event happened on Saturday, August 20th, approximately 1250. Fishing game was notified of a hiker that had slipped while walking through the woods near the trail tram ski trail. A group of three had ridden up the tram, planning on touring around the summit and returning via the tram. When the group got to the summit, they changed their minds and decided to hike down the mountains. Unfortunately, they were not following a hiking trail and started down what they thought was a ski trail. The group came to a location that was rocky, wet, and steep with a waterfall. As the group tried to maneuver their way down, one of the hikers slipped, causing him to fall off the edge. The two other members called 911 for assistance as they could no longer see their companion. First responders were able to hike to the coordinates 911 had provided and found a deceased man at the bottom of a waterfall. Conservation officers and members of the Pemigewasset Valley Search and Rescue Team brought him to the tram parking lot, arriving at approximately 3.35. He was transported to Ross Funeral Home in Littleton, New Hampshire. The name of the hiker will not be released at this time due to the next of kin notification. So, Hmm. yeah, this is, uh, and I don't know if this is the same location where that person who had fallen a couple of years ago was located or not. But I know there's a couple of these waterfalls on Cannon that seem to be the cause of some problems. Um, more more wet ledge, um, yeah. treacherous terrain. Um, I, the takeaway here is stay on trail. This is not an area to be played with, and there's nothing really fancy to see. So, um, yeah, stay away. Yeah. I mean, Cannon is just a steep, you know, it's, it's a cliff. Yeah. Essentially. So it's not, not something to be played with, but it's unfortunate. Like, I think they probably thought they were, like, confident enough to go on a little adventure and, you know, tragedy strikes. So it's just, it's just really, like, it seems like we're getting a lot of people that are getting in trouble around waterfalls and slippery wet ledges. A lot. You just got to be really attuned to where where you're you know you have to have situational awareness at all times but even more so when you're near wet slippery rocks agreed yeah don't have much to say about that i mean it, it is unusual this whole area is the slipperiest area i've ever encountered you know in my bushwhacks it's just awful yeah well on to the next story here which unfortunately is no better than the last story so new hampshire police uh, marine patrol said a man died saturday at profile falls in bristol new hampshire where's bristol new hampshire stop oh bristol uh that's near me actually i think south south of plymouth um okay yeah it's it's within my region campton uh but more 
south towards um, Holderness, New Hampton, that whole area. Oh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it is. Um, yeah. So it's it's not uh, too far from Plymouth at all. Yeah. Um, so this is this place is called Profile Falls. Authorities said the witness told the man told them that the man was swimming in the falls and went underwater. People, including an off-duty nurse, brought him ashore and began CPR. He was pronounced dead at 1 p.m. Police are not identifying him until they notify the family. And uh, that's about all that they, all the information they have. So he wasn't jumping. It sounds like he was just swimming, and it was just a possible drowning. So, hmm. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So um, next one here is um, two rescues that happened around the same time on Mount Washington. So um, during the afternoon and evening of sun, Sunday, August 21st, 2022, separate, two, separate hikers res- two separate hiker rescues were carried out on and adjacent to the Gulfside Trail near the summit of Mount Washington. Again, this has been a bit of a hot spot as well. Yeah, it sure has. Um, approximately 2.45, conservation officers were notified of a hiker stuck in a steep ground in the steep ground below the headwall of the Great Gulf adjacent to the Gulfside Trail. The hiker who was identified as... Um, a 72-year-old gentleman from Bradenton, Florida, had lost the Great Gulf Trail and became stuck in a precarious spot after attempting to hike up the mountain and regain the trail. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't understand this. Like, the Great Gulf Trail, is, it's a trail in the sense that, yeah, like, in the lower section, there is, like, a trail section that you need to follow and, like, you got to cut over the waterfall a couple of times. But ultimately, right. like, the Great Gulf Trail, you just need to, like, you know, make your way left or right until you get to the point where you just reconnect with the trail. Like there's nothing, I don't know, I don't know how you get to a precarious spot there, but maybe I'm misremembering it. Um, but anyway, he be, he gets stuck in a spot after attempting to hike up the mountain and regain the trail. Unable to safely move from his position, he decided to call 911 for help. One CO and one member of Androscoggin Valley Search and Rescue subsequently responded to the mountain with ropes and climbing gear. And after some searching and scrambling down the mountain off trail, the party reached uh, the victim at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. He was provided with safety gear and assisted a- approximately 800 feet back up the mountain and onto the Gulfside Trail. Once on the trail, um, huh? If he was 800 feet up, I'm thinking he might have been not even on the headwall. Uh, or I don't know. That's true. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I do know that, like in the lower section, like. You, it's very easy to lose the trail, like from Spalding Pond to the head wall. The, it's it's like a nuclear bomb went off down there, and the trail disappears because sure. like no one's done any trail maintenance down there. So maybe that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, once on the trail, the gentleman was able to slowly hike with the rescuers back to Mount Washington Auto Road, and they made it safely to the auto road around seven o'clock. Um, and just prior to making it back to the auto road, the involved conservation officer received a second call for help on the same trail. In this case, it was reported that a 87-year-old gentleman from Chardon, Ohio, was becoming very fatigued after spending most of the day hiking to the summit of Mount Washington. Wow. Um, the gentleman's hiking partner reported that uh, this gentleman was moving slowly, but that he was having difficulty on some downhill sections of the trail. Based upon their pace... Fatigue and the distance left to travel, the caller felt that assistance would be needed uh, to safely make it off the mountain. 
Once receiving the second call, the ABSAR volunteer was joined by personnel from Mount Washington State Park, and they began hiking towards the victim's location. The involved conservation officer transported the first victim down the auto road and then returned to the Gulf Side Trail to assist with this new rescue mission. Hmm. Once they got to the 87-year-old gentleman, the rescue party was able to help stabilize him through the difficult sections of the trail. Moving slowly but steadily, the victim hiked under his own power with the volunteer rescuers to a service trail adjacent to the Cog Railroad. Once at this trail, a CO was able to pick him up and transport him on an ATV approximately half a mile to the auto road. And uh, from there, they were able to exit out of the auto road by 9 o'clock. So both hikers were found to be very experienced and had packs containing extra gear. But, I mean, 87 years old hiking Incredible. Mount Washington, it's impressive if you can do it. It's not so impressive if you can't. But mm-hmm. Yeah, they're getting it done, though, huh? 72, 87? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So They're getting out there. Busy, busy time on Mount Washington. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that conservation officer. Like somebody buy him a beer. He must have just been like, you got to be kidding me. It happens a lot. Get those multiple calls. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, it was nice of them to coordinate those. Right. And back to Mount Musilak. Is this a second one or is this yeah, a repeat I think of the one it's you just a, did? No, it's second, right? I believe it's a Let second. Let me look at this. Let me look at this for a second here. Yeah. This is a, 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 a whole new one. Yeah, there you go. Yep. All right, this is on Monday, August 22nd. Fishing game was notified of an injured hiker. 30-year-old female suffered a lower leg injury and unable to continue. Two conservation officers with ATVs responded to the trailhead off Breezy Point Road in Warren. They were able to get up 3.7 miles of the carriage road. I mean, it's not a bad trail to get hurt on because you can get an ATV up there, but they were able to reach the hiker by 4.35, so about two hours. They stabilized the injury... The rescue party was able to make it slowly down the trail, reaching the trailhead by 5.45. Um, Warren Wentworth Ambulance transported the hiker to Spear Memorial Hospital for treatment of her injuries. Um, It was a hiker from Plymouth, Mass. Mm -hmm. She and a hiking companion were coming down the summit of Musilaki via Gorge Brook. And as they were coming down the carriage road, she suffered a lower leg injury on a portion of the trail consisting of loose rocks. Her companion immediately called 911 for help realizing the severity of the injuries. They were prepared accordingly for a day hike and were wearing appropriate footwear for the conditions. So, yeah. Bad luck. Busy, busy, busy. Busy, man. Yeah, busy. for sure. And uh, I can tell you there was a call today, too. Um, you'll hear about it shortly enough, but it's been nonstop, almost daily oh, for no, the last I- few weeks. Am I reading this correctly? But it seems like a lot of these are um, being handled, you know, by a, a very small number. Like you're not needing to do like ha- a lot of these carryouts, right? Um, no, not it's it's been a mix. It's a mix. It's been oh, a mix. falling water stuff, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. No turnout has been fantastic all around. Um, you know, we've been traveling a little bit further north to Berlin and Gorham to assist a little outside of our neighborhood. But um, yeah, turnout has been okay. But the problem this time of the year, it seems like there are off days, like midweek days are harder for volunteer teams to fulfill, you know, the calls because uh, people are working and whatever else. So, it, you know, they do seem to be a little more frequent um, just any day of the week. <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 Well, we'll see. I mean, maybe when me and you were hanging out um, with Lawson on Saturday, like a call will come in and I could follow you, Stomp, and, and get a play You certainly could. You could. You certainly could. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll see you uh, Sunday. Um, six. Was it? Is it Sunday or? No, Saturday? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm so tired right now. Um, Saturday, six a.m. tomorrow morning, for listeners that are hearing yep. this. And I think they're going to crush it. The weather's looking really good, and um, yep. they've been training hard. So, very exciting. Yeah, they'll they'll dominate this. So, yeah. good time stop. So, I will see you on Saturday morning, and we will let everyone get back to. Um, their non-hiking related podcast activities. <laughs> right. <laughs> Welcome back, Mike. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered in today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information at slasherpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until then, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some mega peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.